thank you to the Sangam team for uh, uh, getting me back again. And uh, without much further delay, let me uh, let me start the topic for the day. I think uh, you have captured uh, the summary very well for my talk. So it's about climate policy innovations uh, for a living planet. And I would like to cover uh, some of the topics which are being ignored by the media and uh, they're not being discussed about much. Uh, so some of the thought-provoking ideas and concepts I would like to present uh, with regard to this topic, I would like to present 12 policy innovations and the audiences for every global citizen, academic researchers, policymakers, uh, world leaders, uh, anybody who's interested in climate change and biodiversity, uh, so it's mainly food for thought and to, you know, uh, steer some action in those particular areas. So the first policy innovation is around building communication and awareness. So we have all heard about climate change. So I don't want to kind of uh, spend too much time on the definition of climate change. I think we are all very, very well aware as to what is happening in the world. Uh, but what is not happening is uh, we are not delivering a simple clear to understand message around climate because in the secluded corridors of power whether it is ipcc or whatever it is many policies are being discussed but the average citizen is unable to understand what they actually mean so let me give you an example you go to a doctor right you get a blood report from a doctor and every citizen now understands what is the ideal level of cholesterol and where does he stack up against that ideal level of cholesterol or what is his blood pressure and how does it stack up against an ideal level of blood pressure so whether it is cholesterol sugar blood pressure or anything else we completely understand about our own individual health. In a similar way, we need to understand about planetary health also. So planetary health to me means getting a simple health report of the planet that world organizations such as, you know, whether it is the World Wildlife Fund or the United Nations Environmental Program, or IPCC, Nature Conservancy, if they can form an interdisciplinary team, and with this interdisciplinary team, you come out with a template, a simple health template, focusing on the five elements. So you can say, okay, what should be the ideal soil organic matter whether it is the world or whether it is specific to a country, we can tailor it to every country. What is the carbon dioxide parts per million? What is the ideal and what should be the standard? You know, the ideal is anywhere between 280 to 350 uh, parts per million of CO2. What, how does it vary by country level or, or by the world? So similarly for, uh, soil, air, water, everything we can have, simple metrics. We also need metrics on biodiversity. So for example, the World Wildlife Fund and the Zoological Society in England, they published this Living Planet Report. The Living Planet Report states that 68% of the vertebrate wildlife has been lost in the last 50 years. And similarly, freshwater aquatics, fish and all that, more than 80% has been lost. But not many people are aware of all these things. So why don't we put a template together and communicate this via Facebook and via LinkedIn? In this manner, it goes to the average citizen of the world and most people have access to Facebook and LinkedIn and so on. So once you develop a simple metric, a simple template, 
on the health of our planet and you communicate this to the people, they become well aware and they become more involved in helping our planet because our planet is a living planet. People say that the sixth extinction will be made by humans. And you can see it from the biodiversity loss which is happening in vertebrate wildlife. Obviously, I've not even spoken about uh, the microbial life which is under the ground and so much life, microbial life even over the ground. Uh, we have not even touched that. If you look at the world GDP, the world GDP is around $80 trillion. But if you take how much biodiversity contributes to our planet, it is anywhere between 125 to $140 trillion. But yet we do not give any importance to it or we don't even talk about it. So people need to be aware of these things uh, in a simple template kind of a fashion. Uh, so hope uh, that is made clear. So this is what I mean by policy innovation with respect to communication. Now, building awareness, uh, the, another policy innovation we can do is why not have climate Olympics? So once we have this kind of a template, every single country comes in via Zoom and they present their data once every two years on how they are performing on each of these five elements, including biodiversity, what, what is really happening? So then more awareness is built. Uh, so let us have a climate Olympics as well, where every country leader uh, presents what is really happening. And even uh, startups and innovation companies can present uh, some of their latest developments and how they can be implemented. So that is the first policy innovation. The second policy innovation is around the voting age. All over the world, with the exception of, uh, uh, you know, just a couple of countries, the voting age is 18. But if you look at what is happening in the real world, people above the age 17 are more active and more involved with respect to you know, climate change, taking care of our planet. They are more vocal about it. They make important decisions in their life about going to college. So why can't they make important decisions about being the guardians of our planet since they are the most vocal group? So the policy innovation I would recommend to all world leaders is to lower the voting age to 17 from 18. Policy innovation number three. So number three is around corporations. Corporations have a very, very important role because they, they are the drivers of our economy and they need to be engaged in building a circular economy, addressing climate change, Right now, if you look at many companies are adopting what is called as ESG initiatives, which means environment, social, and governance. Governance. So, in fact, there are a lot of mutual funds which focus on only ESG companies, and these funds state that uh, they only invest in ESG type of companies. These companies some of these top companies have in their annual reports how they are measuring against greenhouse gas emissions or ghgs uh, they have to state that but by and large the e in esg is not strong enough we need to tighten it and make it more stronger how do we kind of do that i think corporations need to adopt uh, three different innovations, in my opinion. Number one, which I would like to present is a fossil fuel company, ironically, I won't name them, but they came up with a carbon footprint calculator. And that carbon footprint calculator, they said, uh, any individual can go onto the, uh, their laptop or iPad and, and key in, you know, how many times they fly, what do they eat, and so on and it gives their carbon footprint for an individual. 
I would have wished that this fossil fuel company had invented this carbon footprint calculator for actually every single product. Because ultimately, if you look at any single product with global supply chains, you will have a 360 degree view. For example, a laptop, all its components are manufactured in various different parts of the world. So by the time you get your laptop, including its components, it would have circled the globe at least 20 to 30 times or who knows how much. So you can sit back and say, oh my God, what is the carbon footprint calculator of this particular product? I mean, we have furniture being made in one country, shipped to another country. Look at all the fuel costs you add up. Could a carbon footprint calculator determine your corporate strategy on exactly what is your carbon footprint then uh, maybe maybe you will rethink your global supply chain strategies uh, now with covid we are actually facing that problem so that is uh, one kind of an innovation i would like to suggest maybe a software company can look into it and and create that the other tool which are already available is there is a tool called circulitix if you go into the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, Ellen MacArthur Foundation offers the Circulitics tool free of charge. There are 600 companies all over the world uh, who have access to this tool and they are implementing this tool. What this tool does is to measure the performance of your company on how close it is to building a circular economy, right? The third tool I would like to present is a tool actually uh, built by a company called Atomiton, A-T-O-M-I-T-O-N, it is a startup. They use artificial intelligence uh, tools to basically figure out what are the emission drivers in the entire production process of a company? So you can look at all of these things and, and, and really tighten and strengthen your E in your ESG. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you're working in a company and you're passionate about the environment, you could become a sustainability officer by integrating these tools and ideas and rise up to becoming, becoming a sustainability officer. Ellen MacArthur Foundation and their website has shown that sustainability goals actually increase revenue and save costs for a company and a country. There are very highly documented studies. You can look at it. In fact, every mutual fund which is focusing on ESG type companies, uh, index wise, their performance seems to be better even on the stock price. So policy initiative number four, I would uh, like to discuss is about trade policy. When you think of trade policy, about 15 years ago, Warren Buffett basically said, you know, if your exports equals imports, your trade deficits obviously will be zero. Your economy will be healthy. To some extent, this ties in with the corporate policy also, uh, because the more local you are, the lower your global footprint, right? Whether it is food or any other product, the more local you are, the less your global footprint, uh, theoretically. So. Also, trade policy, if your imports are equal to exports, you're encouraging a lot of diverse local talent. Uh, you know, in any country, there is so much diversity in skills. You've got to respect everybody's skill set. Um, so that is how, you know, many countries are talking about, you know, whether it is make in India or made in America and so on. They take so much pride in it. Uh, and and this way your trade deficits won't blow up and warren buffett actually suggested that for all the exporters if you give them an import certificate they sell these import certificate to the actual importers 
and this way your exports will also be equal to imports so it's a very easy way of making it happen nowadays on 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 the computer now number five i would like to point out is about our ocean floors my humble opinion is to make and declare our ocean floors as a living entity because our ocean floors at a big risk for being mined for precious metals um, i don't know how many of you have heard but there is what is called the clarion clipperton zone clarion clipperton zone is in the pacific ocean it is between hawaii and mexico it is 4.5 million square mile uh, square kilometers and it is studded with precious polymetallic nodules containing nickel cobalt gold you name it all the precious metals for millions and millions of years have been formed and now there are 22 startup companies salivating to mine the ocean floor for these polymetallic nodules because they say that the only way to combat climate change is to mine these polymetallic nodules and start manufacturing electric vehicles cars and lithium ion batteries and so on because it is needed i feel it is a lot of smoke and mirrors now fortunately the international seabed authority they need to give permission to them it is going to happen in the middle of this year they are going to vote for it there is a coalition of 650 deep sea scientists who are opposing this because on this ocean floor the biodiversity that exists in marine life more than half of it has not been discovered by humankind it is so rich so vast now we have destroyed the biodiversity above the ground under the ground now we want to destroy the biodiversity even on the ocean floors um, now these 22 startup companies have heavy heavy funding in billions of dollars and whenever there is a lot of money there is a lot of lobbying so i am hoping and that the international seabed authority will see value of how the coalition of deep sea scientists are fighting this and hopefully uh, there will be some right decisions taken but this awareness does not exist no no media is even talking about it uh, could this become a black swan event if we start destroying our ocean floors uh, what would it do we do not know so if the ganga the yamuna rivers the yara river in australia the wanganui river in new zealand have been declared as living entities why can't we declare the clarion clipperton zone with trillions of dollars of polymetallic nodules lying on that ocean floor as a living entity not to be touched and not to be disturbed policy innovation number six what i told you about ocean floors we are going to do it to the moon as well the moon is the sustainer and stabilizer of planet earth there are eight to ten startup companies starting this year they will start mining the moon for precious metals in may of 2020 the artemis accords was signed by the united states and every single country which is, is a signatory to that uh, has a moon program is a signatory to this agreement which means hey the moon is now free for everybody to mine mine for precious metals bring it down to the earth in the name of giving batteries electronic uh, for for evs electric vehicles i will come to it there are solid alternatives to uh, manufacturing batteries without precious metals i'll get to it but let me finish up on the moon why is the moon the sustainer and stabilizer for the earth i'm not a scientist 
I don't have a science background. I confess that. But let me tell you one thing as a simple example. Why is the moon the stabilizer of the Earth? It is because think of a trapeze artist walking in a circus on a tightrope. How does he walk on a tightrope? By holding a pole. So let's say he's holding a 12-foot pole, six foot on either side. That is how he's able to balance on the tightrope because he's holding the pole with his two hands, six foot of the pole in, on either side, equally balanced, right? So think of the pole as the moon and the person as the earth. Now, let us assume Woody Woodpecker comes and chips away on one side of the pole, one inch of the pole. What do you think is going to happen to the man walking on the tightrope? Obviously, he's going to fall. So what the example and the analogy I'm giving is the same thing. It is because of the moon that the Earth is in proper orbit because of the gravitational pull, right? Now we want to mine the moon for hundreds of pounds. Uh, we have no idea what will happen. The sun supports us during the daylight, all life. But the moon supports all life on Earth during the nighttime. Physiology, fertility, reproductive behavior is all influenced by the moon or all human life, plant life, animal life, right? Why do seeds sprout in the moonlight? Why do plants grow in the nighttime? Why do imbalanced people behave differently during full and new moon? Why do most people in India fast during the 11th day of the moon cycle? Because they know the cosmic energy is very high on that particular day because of the way the planetary lineup, lineup happens. So um, even in birds, the corticosteroid and melatonin levels vary significantly, right? Uh, and there is so much of the moon's 28-day cycle that has influence on, 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 on a woman's cycle, you know, and, and so many other things that are happening that we are unaware of. That's because we don't want to study nocturnal activity. The mystical, scientific, and astrological phenomena connected with the moon and earth has been not been researched. So before we understand all of these things fully, uh, we are blindly going in and mining the moon without understanding all of the consequences that will happen. So um, my humble opinion is to declare the moon as a living entity. Uh, and there is a lot of knowledge uh, in our Vedic system in India around the moon and anybody who wants to research, encourage, and write a paper uh, and bring this all to light uh, will be appreciated because the media is not covering any of this that is going to happen. Now, I'm not saying not to have electric vehicles. I think they are a good thing. But why mine precious metals when we have natural, organic batteries that are available? The Texas A&M University in the United States has come out with a polypeptide, biodegradable, metal-free battery. There are many, many researches happening around organic batteries. Even in India, the aluminum air battery is being tested, so which relies less on precious metals. So we don't need to have precious metals to have batteries. We can make batteries naturally organically, and they are much better. Uh, the VC firms are ignoring all this, um, which I clearly don't understand the reason, but these kinds of research should be, uh, should be encouraged. We give so many subsidies to the fossil fuel industry. Why can't we give subsidies, shift those subsidies to these kind of novel ideas and novel initiatives rather than brute force technology of always extracting the earth either for fossil fuels or even for precious metals.
Number seven, I would like to discuss number seven is a policy innovation around forest cover. So when I talk about forest cover, increasing forest cover, what are the innovations around forest cover? Crowther Labs, which is based in Switzerland, came out, came out with some groundbreaking research and work which was published and it was given a lot of press. Basically, they calculated based upon satellite technology and with feet on the ground, they calculated that there are 3.12 trillion trees on this planet. So let's round it off to 3 trillion trees in this planet. They also said, eliminating all urban land, places which are already occupied and so on, we still may have land to grow 1 trillion trees. But again, there was some criticism and problem with this because you know, you cannot plant a seed in some kind of a government remote land and walk away from it. Plants need tender loving care to grow, to nurture, and somebody has to take care of this. Somebody has to manage it. So to some extent, it is a theoretical thing, uh, but not 100% practical to make it happen. So one of the innovations is I looked at world in data. So anybody can go into this website called World in Data, very rich information. So what I found is that the area occupied by the 3 trillion trees is exactly equal to the area occupied by agriculture. Okay, so 80% of all the agriculture is for livestock, growing meat for food. So what if all the people who do consume meat, let's say they consume meat for six days in a week, two days uh, they can say they want to reduce the consumption, they don't eat meat, two days they can go for plant-based meat alternatives like meatless meat, like Impossible Burger or Beyond Meat and things like that. And the other two days, they can focus on lab-grown meat. There are many, many companies and it is taking off lab-grown meat. You can even titrate how much fat content there should be in the meat and so on. Um, and, and Singapore has approved it and, and so many countries will approve it. So by doing that, it frees up a lot of the existing land because a lot of that land, a lot of water and land was being used to grow meat. Now when that land is freed up, you can grow at least minimum of 2 trillion trees and reduce 200 to 400 gigatons of carbon from the air. And that is another way of reducing climate change. So this is a people-initiated innovation, but it can only happen if governments, all world leaders provide this kind of an education to the people. They need to tell them that the human digestive anatomy in all its aspects resembles that of herbivores, plus the environmental impact is huge. The amount of water and land that is used is, is huge. So. Uh, the innovation could be around providing the right education because most of the doctors, physicians, nurses, healthcare professionals also do not have this knowledge, nor do the average citizens have this particular knowledge. If you look at Amazon forest, which supplies 20% of the oxygen of this world, there are many recent reports which have come up on the internet that the rainforest, Amazon rainforest, will soon become a savanna as opposed to a rainforest because most of this rainforest is be being destroyed so rapidly uh, for cattle feed and for livestock. Uh, so my suggestion is we have the International Monetary Fund and so many other kinds of things. Why don't world leaders look to start an international forest fund where 
of their prior year's defense budget is completely reduced and all that money goes to this international forest fund to support more forests to to reforestation schemes and so on with many wildfires happening even in california and many other places we need reforestation schemes so let the international forest fund be a platform that would serve this i need many countries to take inspiration even from africa africa from the northern part of africa from west to east 8500 kilometers they are building a complete green cover or a forest cover which is called the great green wall initiative uh, to arrest the expansion of the sahel and the sahara desert and by 2030 it is expected to be completed nobody talks about this why can't it be a model of for inspiration even for united states for example united states has been talking about uh on the southern border to build a concrete wall to curb illegal immigration why can't both parties in united states like the democratic and republicans come together and form a 3000 kilometer long forest with wild animals it will combat climate change it will also curb illegal immigration so this way both parties are satisfied so we need to look at creative solutions like this uh, China has a green wall initiative uh, to arrest the expansion of the Gobi Desert. And uh, they expect to complete it by 2050. Uh, that is too long. However, they have the Great Wall of China. Why don't you cover the Great Wall of China completely with green cover? Or even you could have flexible organic photovoltaics to reduce your dependence on coal and and grow trees uh you know even even uh, on on top of the great wall of china on on the borders on the on the walls so uh, you can have a hybrid kind of a mix you can reduce uh, your energy dependence on coal and you can make many things happen uh, i know Sadhguru has spoken about rally for rivers in india and growing trees around uh, the banks of all of these rivers, great initiative. Uh, but we need more of these kind of ideas and more of these things coming. And International Forest Fund uh, should be a forum to support uh, these kind of initiatives as well. Policy number eight. Policy number eight is around water. Policy innovations around water. So what I would like to suggest on water is, I have given many ideas on my previous talks on Sangam. Um, on, on part one, entrepreneurial ideas. I covered many innovations on water with respect to how liquid carbon dioxide can entirely transform uh, how we wash our clothes, utensils, machine parts, we'll say billions of dollars, especially in developing countries, it's easily adaptable. Or how to, under, uh, how to prevent underground water leaks with robotic technology, how to have permeable type of concrete materials or permeable type materials on roadways and highways uh, to increase and recharge groundwater levels. Think of water not only to how to save water, but how can you use water to get energy out of it? We have talked about, we have spoken about green energy. Why not we talk about blue energy? Blue energy, Rutgers University in United States just this year came out with a breakthrough technology what happens is when the fresh river water flows into the seawater the ions in fresh water are very different than the ions in a seawater one is positively charged and one is negatively charged right so you can exploit the chemical differences in the water to produce massive amounts of electricity. So Rutgers University came up with a membrane kind of a technology by separating fresh water and seawater with this kind of a, a new kind of a membrane. What they are saying is you can produce massive, massive amounts of electricity. So India has a lot of rivers which are going into the sea. Uh, this is something we need to kind of uh, look at. Um, so 
The next policy innovation is around wastewater. Now, if you think of wastewater, we don't think, we think waste as waste, but waste is actually wealth. So Edward Jones of Utrecht University, uh, which is in one of the Scandinavian countries, I think it is Finland, he has come out with a research saying, globally, 11% of the water is only, wastewater is reused, only 11%. The statistics are much worse in de developing countries like India, China, and entire Southeast Asia. Now, wastewater can be used for creating a lot of energy. In fact, there are utility plants uh, which, which are tapping all the wastewater uh, to convert it into energy. There are utility plants which are converting uh, the chemical energy through microbes into electrical energy. Uh, or even the methane produced into electrical energy. Uh, plus, the organic content in wastewater can be used for fertilizer, to make fertilizer. So many things can be done with wastewater. Uh, for example, there is Eco-STP in Bangalore, uh, which treats wastewater with zero energy. All they are doing is mimicking the process and the technology that happens in a cow's stomach. Uh, so, there is uh, a person by name uh, Madhukar Swayambhu, who also spoke on uh, Sangam, and he has a platform called Vedic Shrijan, which basically uses Vedic technologies to restore the dead water bodies. There are like thousand dead water bodies uh in in new delhi itself and he's taking a great initiative in reviving them uh, so there are there is just so much out there that we should not just focus on conventional technologies for wastewater but even non-conventional technologies like what uh, madhukar swayambu uh, recommends uh, dr john todd look at him on the website he has phytoremediation techniques uh, uh, naturally uh, we had wetlands in Kolkata way back, uh, but those wetlands have disappeared due to urbanization. They were all doing a marvelous job in, in, in terms of uh, utilizing the rich resources of the wastewater. We have lost that knowledge and we need to revive it. So number 11 is policy innovations around energy. I will not spend too much time on solar and wind. Everybody knows policy innovation around energy, right? Solar panels and all that I'm not going to discuss. What I want to share with you is something you're not aware of. We, are, we, know, about we know about solar panels, but what we do not know about is geothermal panels. What are geothermal panels? Geothermal panels are nothing but prefabricated panels and you can install them, uh, at least in United States, you have, uh, you know, every house has a basement, which is underground. There are parking lots, which are underground. You can install them here and the trapped heat energy, you can convert it back into heat energy during the winter and cool energy uh, during the summertime. Project Drawdown is a, is a very talked about project. The number one, they have come out with 100 solutions for climate change. The number one is refrigerants, uh, cooling overall. So why cannot we use this technology which was developed by a company called, uh, it is called Enerdrape, E-N-E-R-D-R-A-P-E. -E. Uh, it's based in Switzerland. So, Let's not think about cooling. Let's think about cooling in terms of not only natural refrigerants, but also in terms of other novel technologies being developed by Enerdrape. Uh, so we have to think about energy in very novel ways on how to tap it and how to use such materials to trap the heat either from the ground or from the walls. Uh, you know, Purdue University in United States came out with an ultra white paint. They say you paint your houses with this, 
you will reflect back 95% uh, of, of the radiation and the heat, and you don't even need an air conditioner. So why couldn't developing countries look at such kind of technologies? Or uh, there are technologies where you can cover buildings with green kind of cover. Um, you can just do so many different things. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, even windmill, micro windmill technology uh, ha has taken different shapes and forms where you can have walls uh, with inlaid micro windmills uh, that can power your buildings and homes. Every building, every house should be decentralized, self-sustained uh, in terms of its energy needs. And policy innovations needs to give complete property tax break uh, to these kind of homes that don't rely on the grid. The other thing that the media is not talking about or less attention is being paid is to cryptocurrency. You know, Bitcoin uses the same amount of energy as a country like Finland. It's not that blockchain technology is bad. It's just the way the code is written has to be changed. For example, Solana is a cryptocurrency, uh, but uh, each transaction uses only electricity, uh, which is equal to two Google searches, whereas Bitcoin, for each transaction, it uses electricity equal to one house in America that uses electricity for six and a half weeks. That's how much Bitcoin consumes. Uh, but nobody is talking about this. And it's just going under the radar. And if cryptocurrency is being accepted so much, we need to be cognizant of these kind of issues. Um, so the last uh, innovation number 12 I want to end with is India has a rich storehouse of knowledge in its uh, Vedic sciences. Uh, Vedas are true sciences. They have a lot of mysteries around science and technology. So why couldn't India open up a Vedic Indian Institute of Technology focused on unearthing and uncovering all of these secrets so that uh, we can benefit the world, we can benefit India, and these are some of the climate policy innovations, not all comprehensive, but just some food for thought in terms of how global leaders, researchers, academicians, entrepreneurs need to think about and, and uh, take it forward. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. And I really appreciate and enjoy talking to all of you again. Ram Prasadji, I was very intrigued by the moon mining project that you said. Who are the countries who have signed for it and which are the companies who are about to begin this? There are several companies. Uh, I mean, iSpace is there. Um, I don't remember all of the names. It is some time back I had done the research on this. In fact, I have written an article. Uh, it is on uh, Pure and Eco India. It is also on my LinkedIn profile as a post. Uh, I don't really remember all the names. Company? Basically, American companies or what? They are all, uh, mostly they are American companies. But even uh, ISRO in India plans to mine the moon in 2030. Uh, so all of the countries that have a moon program uh, have an initiative to mine the moon. Uh, so I think there may be a Japanese company, there's a company from China. Uh, uh, but right now there are eight, but that is expanding very quickly. And uh, the Artemis Accords was signed in May 2020 by all of these signatories. Uh, so this is what I have been trying to say is how come no researcher is addressing this? And uh, also, isn't there any world body like the UN or anybody who can check this or uh, maybe have a say in this? Uh, the agreement is already signed. Every country has signed the agreement. It's too late in the game. And I wrote an article on this about uh, maybe four years ago, two, three years ago. It is on my, it is as a post on my LinkedIn. For uh, sustainability or for a uh, green planet, uh, like like for uh, international security, we have these various bodies like NATO and uh, you know UN and all to keep a check, Security Council. 
don't we have anything for the environment this thing a world body which can actually have a say on this uh well there are space law experts i have written to a couple of space law experts there is a space law magazine uh but as you know uh whatever you write goes into cyberspace and you never hear back there's a lot of knowledge in our own country like you absolutely said in some of our vedic sciences now while Correct. you are asking you are asking the government or someone to come across as of right now is there any institute or any body which has actually or is rather doing some work on the vedic sciences that you would know of uh well any as individual as I... sorry any individual private will do because i am also looking for some some kind of you know uh, knowledge in those on those lines um so one name that comes to my mind is subhash mm -hmm. kak uh, subhash 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 kak k a k okay uh, you can check him on the website uh -huh. and uh, you know basically uh, he has uh, uh, written an article on medium he has youtube talks on the scientific contributions uh, india has made uh, to the modern science uh i think he has given some fascinating talks and articles uh, mm -hmm. but there are many such individuals like him uh they are spread all over the world mm -hmm. and they are making great contributions uh, you know for example subhash kak talks about uh 108 the mystical number 108 right why is it okay. 108 uh what is the diameter of the sun how it relates to the earth uh, what is the diameter of the moon how it relates to the earth and he ties it to the number 108 so there is so much rich knowledge that we have that we are not aware of um, you can check him out and it could lead you to many other uh, names and authors uh, uh, I'm, I'm kind of blanking out now on all the names that are not coming to my mind but uh, there are many no no problem sir thank you so much as an entrepreneur, I would also like you to check uh, Climate Launchpad Initiative. Climate Launchpad is a good website uh, where people can get funding for their brilliant ideas. For example, uh, there is a company called JSP Enviro in Tirupattur uh, in uh, Tamil Nadu, mm -hmm. uh, who are basically uh, all the textile dyeing effluents, they're converting it into energy. And it is so sad that they have to get funding from uh, one of the funders based in EU by competing uh, in this competition by Climate Launchpad. Uh, why couldn't we have something in India to help green entrepreneurship? Uh, I know the Prime Minister has started and encouraged startups in India. Uh, but we need to go more impetus to climate-related uh, companies. No, no, that's absolutely, sir. You're you're true. But the the financial ecosystem for entrepreneurs is is practically non-existent. So we still have to go around and pitch to people. Compared to China, where the banks and the governments bend their back to you know help entrepreneurs. Um, that's a very good point. I think we need more policy innovation around that. Then yeah and until that happens sir i don't think we'll see some really uh, you know the kind of innovation that's happening in china they have gone ahead by 25 30 years and the moment you hear an entrepreneur you're given a red carpet there because you create jobs entrepreneurs create jobs and this country needs jobs uh, i i couldn't agree with you more and uh, hopefully aparnaji will invite uh, some people uh, on on sangam to talk about it two uh, magazines uh, one is called Terra Green, published by Tata Energy Resources Institute. And there is a magazine called Down to Earth, uh, published by uh, Sunita Narayan of Center for Science and Environment in New Delhi. Both are good magazines also. Um, I have been a contributor to Terra Green, and, and some of their articles uh, are good on entrepreneurship, green entrepreneurship. You can look at, check them out as well. There is a question in the chat box from Saurav Rohila. He asks, he wants to know your views on the promotion of cab and trade method instead of carbon tax. I mean, this will be a long discussion. 
So what I would like to suggest is, if the person who is asking the question, can you kindly go into the website called Climate Leadership Council? Climate Leadership Council has suggested uh, some novel ideas, and it has been signed by 100 top corporations in America. It has been presented to the Congress, but as you know, uh, always in the government there is a gridlock. Uh, but it has some wonderful ideas which will address not only your cap and trade but carbon tax uh, questions also. In one of my policy innovation, I suggested for corporations having a carbon footprint calculator. Uh, for each and every product, just like you have nutrition facts labels, right? Why don't you have a carbon footprint uh, index on each product? Uh, what would it do to the tax system? Uh, you, you know, will it will it evolve to a much healthier tax system based solely on um, carbon consumption or carbon footprint? Uh, so there are many many ideas out there. Uh, but the debate needs to happen. And sir, also sir, that uh, uh, carbon tax is not uh, uh, easy to handle, sir. This is also uh, sometimes said. It is true. I mean, there are uh, a lot of issues surrounding surrounding this. It is a complete topic by itself uh, to get into. Uh, that's why I was recommending you the website uh, to look into because lot of pros and cons are discussed on this particular website. Uh, yeah, uh, yes, Rampasaji, uh, uh, a wonderful talk and very, very informative. Sir, I had a, a, a question that's a little different uh, than the rest. Uh, you know, the, uh, I have come across personally, and this has been spoken about, that due to, you know, growing crops like sugarcane, etc., and certain wells in, you know, uh, states like Maharashtra, etc., and other crops as well, there's been, you know, uh, an erosion of soil or rather erosion of soil nutrients. So there have been a lot of uh, talks about doing soil rejuvenation or enriching it with microbials, et cetera, or growing crops that would do it. So uh, I just wanted to uh, ask if you were aware of any such initiatives or pointers as to you know where one could go to sort of investigate that if someone was a scientist or interested in using more traditional methods of cultivation, if, if there are any initiatives and if there are any uh, uh, institutes that uh, are working on, on this kind of uh, efforts. My part two talk called Entrepreneurship Ideas uh, for a Circular Economy. Part two is on Sangam Talks, which covers a lot of ideas on uh, soil related issues. But that being said, uh, when I was talking about policy innovations with respect to soil, right? I think we need a soil summit. So we have World Trade Organization, right? Why can't we have a soil summit, an air summit, a water summit, instead of focusing completely on linear economic models like World Trade Organization? Because what is happening in the world is to your point, right? There are many resource intensive crops, whether it is sugarcane, whether it is coffee, or whether it is cotton, Cotton can now be grown in a lab with 95% less water and 95% less land. And in part two of my talk, I said, look at the company called Galley, G-A-L-Y, which is based in Boston. And starting second quarter of this year, they are coming out uh, producing cotton in a lab. Sugarcane, there are many alternatives like stevia. Stevia is a plant that you can grow in the house in a pot. And a pinch of stevia, a small pinch of stevia is 250 times more stronger than even a tablespoon of sugar. And it requires so much less water. Uh, so why are we not looking at these things? Coffee can be grown in a lab too, uh, you know, with stem cell technology instead of destroying our hills and mountains and everything where it requires so much water. And, and same thing with the meat, lab-grown meat. Uh, so all of these things, uh, you know, you can you can shift them to the lab. So here, part two of my talk, I've given the names of various companies, and and you might benefit uh, uh, listening to that. 
you know, in, in India, again, my, uh, it's specific to that geographical region. There are a lot of people who are trying hydrophonics. Now, you had mentioned growing all of these resource-intensive crops in a lab. But what has happened with hydrophonics, A, it's unable to, uh, and this is without any genetic or any sort of uh, 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 you know, quasi-organic uh, modification, is that they are unable to generate the same level of, uh, I would say, taste or efficacy, right? And uh, there's very little know-how available from the government, or even if it is, there's no transparent uh, mechanism to elicit, you know, the, the, the help that, that one would need to do that. And additionally, the technologies that you had mentioned, uh, and I have very limited knowledge, obviously, in comparison, but, uh, you know, a few places where me and some of my uh, partners have tried to look into this, uh, it, it's very difficult to do the tech transfer from those places. Uh, uh, one quick example I wanted to give you, like chicory, right, is very good for soil replenishment. You know, when grown in areas that, uh, you know, uh, have literally been trenched, you know, the nutrients have been trenched out. But what we found out that there are a couple of states like UP and Gujarat, where there's a European company, I don't recollect the name, and they have the patent over the chicory seed. So, you know, it's farmed in those states, but then the first right to sell is by the company that supplies the seed because the seed is patented. <laughs> so, you know, the most of the chicory that's grown and that actually benefits the soil if you use it on a rotational basis, uh, the technology and the rights of the same is owned by the European company. So uh, maybe it's addressed in your talk and I apologize if it is, but I just want to ask your perspective when it comes to, you know, mom and pop hydrophonics efforts uh, and also, you know, these uh, large conglomerates that are essentially controlling uh, you know, uh, the uh, mode or if not the profitability of the cultivators in that sense and the tech transfer associated. No, no, definitely great insights and uh, great question. Um, so, you know, one of my friends uh, told me, uh, today, except God, you can find everything on the internet, right? So I would say, look at Aero Farms, A-E-R-O, FARMS, uh, which is one of the biggest kind of vertical farm hydroponic uh, thing based in New Jersey. Uh, but there are several, several hydroponic farms. I would also like you to check out MIT Media Lab. Uh, they have MIT Media Lab has very good information. In fact, uh, there are a lot of Indian students who are doing a fantastic job uh, with their PhD and all that. Uh, they detail the technology. There are a lot of YouTube talks on uh, hydroponics and, and how to. So what I'm trying to tell you is use the power of technology to educate yourself. It's just a matter of doing the right searches on Google and getting to the right uh, YouTube. You, you know, there is so much out there. What I can all, also tell you is that the world does not tell you that fossil fuel and coal, believe it or not, they're only 1% efficient. From the time they are found to their actual end use, they're only 1% efficient. Listen to Jane Woodward, Google Talks, and she she's from Stanford University, and she kind of tells you in detail why it is only 1% efficient. So the point I'm trying to make is there is just so much knowledge out there. You just have to do the right searches. And, and one thing will always lead you to the, to the other. By no means, I'm a climate expert. I don't profess to be anything. All I'm doing is, uh, you know, just researching out there. I mean, climate science is not my background at all. Uh, but it's just my interest and my passion in retirement. And I'm just trying to bring this uh, knowledge out to you. Uh, so I, I hope that helps. But listen to the second part of my Sangam talks. Uh, I have given a lot of ideas and uh, names of companies that you can explore related to soil and agriculture. Uh, my, my only concluding remark is that uh, we definitely, as I said, we need a lot of uh, communication, which I spoke in policy innovation number one. We need to have these climate Olympics. Uh, climate Olympics can focus on, uh, uh, you know, the five elements and, and definitely individually as countries, at least in the developing world countries, soil is very important. I think we need a soil summit, a regional soil summit, a regional water summit, regional air summit. Um, so 
we focus too much on linear economics, but not on climate-related economics. So uh, those are my thoughts. And I think we need to look at some of the black swan events on protecting our ocean floor and protecting the moon. Namaste and thank you.